Hello. Hello. We were talking. Um, we were talking what, about. What were we talking about? We were talking about well, dreams. No, <laughs> we were talking about dreams. No, I have always uh, remembered my dreams ever since I was like a child. I remember my dreams every single night, like Monday through Friday. I either recall can recall my dreams from like Monday night's dream, Tuesday night's dream. Either that, I remember them for at least a couple days, or I remember them for like the first couple hours of the day and then i forget that's crazy i don't know it's strange see i like fluctuate like there will be certain dreams that i can remember but for the majority of the time i feel like i just don't remember them mm-hmm. and that's why i'm freaking out about like having these vivid dreams because i'm like oh my god like what what does it mean <laughs> where am i going you know and and it's bad like if you can't stay asleep you know that's what's mm-hmm. like that's what like terrifies me wait if you can't if you can't stay asleep mm-hmm. like you have like a bad dream and then oh yeah, and then you wake you up wake in the middle up, of the night and you can't get back to sleep and like and your anxiety is like keeping you from falling back asleep yes you know and i think like sleep is just so important <laughs> to me <laughs> and like my well, life and like how I well like, what time do you wake up 5 30 I'm an early you still can't well I mean yeah I am the same but like do you wake up at 5 30 and like the days you wake up at 5 30 do you still fall asleep well or no no I don't <laughs> <laughs> well can't help you there I know it's really yeah it's really I well and it's because I drink a lot of coffee you know, and I'm uh, so you, I'm do, cutting that yeah. back. I'm cutting that back, <laughs> which is I'm drinking um, cinnamon peppermint tea, caffeine free, because mm-hmm. I'm cutting. I'm gonna limit myself to like a cup of coffee in the morning, and then I'm gonna find mm-hmm. like other ways to energize myself in the afternoon. Yeah, and then the afternoon sucks. Yes, exactly. And you're not supposed. You're not supposed like any like. Like uh, any personal trainer will like tell you, uh, I was in the gym the other day and I heard like overheard this conversation with like a personal trainer Mm -hmm. and like his clients and he was like, hey, just how how many cups of coffee do you drink a day? And then he was basically like, you should only be drinking like two cups of coffee. Ideally, if you drink more than like two cups of coffee and it's after like eleven thirty AM, like your sleep is guaranteed to be implicated by that. Yes. Like hands down. Um and I, I don't know what to believe also I'm, because they tell you that I'm caffeine insane. is so good for you. Well it is good for yeah. you, but like everything in um moderation. Right. Now unless you're like me and you're batshit insane and you can drink like <laughs> two like Dunkin Donuts like big gulp gallons of coffee mm-hmm. and like take a five hour nap. Um but, I don't know. I can't explain that. But that's like a, that sounds like a, wouldn't that be like a crash? Like an overdrive? I don't know. I don't really care though. I, guess, I mean, I guess if you're <laughs> I can doing go to sleep. okay. Yeah. I'm CEO. It's working for but me. I think like, um, I think my goal for 2023 is to be a little bit more healthier. Mm-hmm. I think like I'm yeah. trying to like cut back on my drinking we're yeah <laughs> i mean of course which I'm, we're we're all a work in progress well, right here. well and yeah. i've been you know i've been watching a lot of like elaine stretch and you know like she deals with like her drinking you know mm-hmm. and like 
how she would like have to have like a drink right before she went on and at intermission mm -hmm. and like I don't want to be like that you know like I want to mm -hmm. be able to like stand on my own and not have to rely on external forces to like mm -hmm. you know get me yeah. through I mean it uh it totally depends on like to me it's like no I love external forces like external forces keep me going it's about like kind of like what uh what external forces <laughs> do I want to cherry pick that mm. are probably going to benefit me more in the long run you know what I'm saying like um <laughs> Yeah, there's always going to be some external force because, like, I can't, I simply cannot do this alone. Like, I can't right. do this by it will takes a village, of my own spirit. I Hillary mean, Clinton truly, says. does it takes a village. So, <laughs> I mean, I have to have some kind of external force to keep me going, I mean, whether it's the approval of others, whether <laughs> well, and that's, or and whether I guess like you know. I'm not like I'm not going cold turkey with like you for know, sure, for like sure. obviously, like I do want to still have like a glass of wine or a beer. But, mm -hmm. you know, maybe not, like, four Tito's mules in, on, four. like, just one day a week. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what's crazy? My doctor, I don't, also, also, I have, like, huge, like, medical mistrust when it comes to the recommendations for women. Like, I just think women should not be drinking at all. But my doc, last time I went to the doctor, they were like, Maddie, don't drink three drinks in a session you have to drink one drink every single day like monday through friday i'm like that's crazy because even if i just have one i know i'm gonna be like implicate my sleep right. will be totally <laughs> compromised and at that point may as well have five but um but uh, like one drink a day like a five beers i don't know it just sounds crazy to me but yeah this, i guess the five, science five doesn't beers lie. in a week well, I mean, you, I guess when they spacing hit, it out is better than binge in, right. drinking. Like, I guess, we know yeah. this, yeah. Because, like, but still, it they, sounds like a lot. When they give you the, like, questionnaire at the doctor's office about how much you drink, like, they make, like, three to four, like, within a month, you know, seem like the worst mm. thing possible. I just lie. <laughs> I, I just lie. I don't want someone to say anything. I know, but I that's just, so bad. It depends. I don't know. I know. I, I don't but lie. I guess, like, it's I not just, bad if you, if you know that they're probably lying to you to get your money. Yeah. No, no. Well, listen, I when I fill out the little questionnaire, I try to be as truthful mm. as possible. But if I feel a little guilty about... I don't know. Sometimes I just shave off the extra drink that right. I don't need it was to a include. Hard week. Let's it was not, a hard week. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Let's not mention like the, you know, no, no, no. I'm just gonna say on like when they say on average, I'm like, well, when? Like, mm -hmm. what do you mean? Like, what, what time? Yeah, on I can't average, do math. maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not um, counting. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> what you're trying to ask me to do, like calculate the medium number mm -hmm. of beers? Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. You know, the median and mode number of beers. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. What are we I'm talking excited. about today? Oh, oh, okay. So, we're oh, yeah, happy new year everybody. We're talking about the most depressing play on the history of planets. It's like the most dev well, it's uh, a very good play, very geniusly written, but it's a uh, it's rabbit hole. Rabbit hole by so, David Lindsay Abair. Yeah. That <laughs> came out in 2006 and it was the um the Pulitzer Prize winner for drama in 2007. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought about like 
as a like a little project, like going through and reading all the Pulitzer Prize winners for drama? No, <laughs> I haven't. Because some a lot of those Pulitzer Prize winners I don't like at all. I'm like, this is not for me in terms of taste. Like, I know, but I can acknowledge, and it's like the Pulitzer Prize is so subject to what like the political cultural mores are of that year. So to me, it's like irrelevant because it's it hinges on like a trend essentially. I guess, but I think it's good to know. Think of next. I think it's, it's good, good to, to know it's a good. Yeah, yeah, it's a marker of right. the time and place and culture, like yes. everything else. But yes. I don't know. I might that might be my project in 2023. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what I'm doing. But it's like if it was awarded the Pulitzer Prize, that's there has to be some kind of I mean everything there has to be some kind of cynicism about it. Like I'm just always like naturally very suspicious of these things, but I don't know. I think stuff like Next to Normal, you know. Oh yeah, Next to Normal like, did oh, it's, win. It's pretty yeah. it's pretty good, but I mean it's a okay musical, but not my favorite in terms of taste. Um yeah, you know, it's there. but the rabbit hole and next to normal do kind of have like the same energy, like suburban yes. families really uh, like psychologically tormented. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Extremely. The hubris. We're going to talk a lot about hubris today. Yes, because <laughs> rabbit hole is a tragedy, but like, well, it's a tragedy, but it's a comedy yes, of errors. It's to me. so like, funny. Yeah. The, well, it is like as a, um, it is objectively humorous. Like you could have rabbit hole. Um, and obviously the premise is, you know, we have these characters, Becca and Howie, who are mourning the death of their son who ran into the street chasing his dog and got run over by a reckless driver. Um, and, you know, they're a husband and wife and they're mourning his death and trying to like deal with their grief um, and trying to decide what do we what do we do what do we do like something horrible happened what do we do um, and they um, both in their own ways and I, Rebecca more um, than Howie I think completely kind of denies and like refuses to um, help each other understand and get through and uh, compromise um, with how they mourn together and how they grieve together um, and I think Becca is a character who defends all of her destructive behavior as an expression of her grief because she basically, you can see her go more and more crazy and insane and mm -hmm. isolating throughout the church at like dramatic action of the play. Um, she just completely goes insane and she's insufferable because she's not honest about what she wants. She doesn't really yeah. want to grieve. Exactly. Like she very much compartmentalizes mm -hmm. the grief of her, of her son, which it I mean, it. yeah, which I mean, mm -hmm. like I, I relate to that in, in a way. I think like mm -hmm. I, it's so easy to like, to want to like replace, put it off, you know, and yeah. like, but, but also like people deal with death in, in such different ways. And I think like, that's what this play like highlights and shows in a way that is like really kind of scary in a way to me like mm -hmm. that like you can be with someone in a relationship you know and you've experienced the same thing but you're dealing mm -hmm. with it and how you react to it is totally different and like how you know and like that how do you how do you make that work you know in mm -hmm. a relationship yeah well when a tragedy like that happens you know 
different like people start to like rip at the seams and different elements of someone's character and like true self really comes out. Right. And of course we know that like everybody um, expresses grief in different ways. But I, when I was reading this play, I was just like so pissed. Like I hated Becca's character because, you know, she completely in the beginning of the play, um, her sister Izzy is talking about how she got into a bar fight and then uh, Izzy, you know, tells Becca, listen, my brother, um, our, our brother died and this is just how I'm grieving. And uh, Becca says, like, you're not allowed to justify him for your destructive behavior. Now, Becca, by saying this, by virtue of saying this, you would think that she knows it's bad to uh, behave destructively um, as an expression of your grief. But her behavior does not reflect that. And um, <laughs> she's like insane, like not willing to be empathetic with her own husband who experienced the same tragedy. Like she re basically refuses to experience the tragedy with her husband, Howie. I totally like didn't even realize that, that she, Izzy was referencing, I referencing her brother's mm -hmm. death. I thought she was talking about Danny's death. And that's why well, Becca was like, don't, you don't use him as an excuse. Well, yeah, because the thing is, like, isn't, didn't um, their brother also died because he yes. was a heroin addict. Yeah. And um, a lot oh. of the story is about, like, this competition between who's more, <laughs> who has more um, dead relative valor than the other. When the mom is just like, you know, <sighs> I lost my son, too, under different conditions, but it was even worse. And it's just like there's there's no it's not a competition over who has, is suffers more right if you really wanted to yield virtue in your suffering you would just grieve with yourself and with your husband becca you know that's why i was getting so pissed about all, all the arguments which are brilliantly written mm -hmm. um because it's a comedy of errors because they like continually state all of these moral values that they themselves do not practice and this is why but this is the thing about I, it's like diot diotic it's like diotic logic like i know lying is bad ergo i shouldn't lie that doesn't mean i'm not gonna do it you know people believe and have these morals but doesn't mean that um, they practice them a hundred percent of the time well, and like Becca, like really, like closes herself off from her mother, in a yeah. in a way, and like and closes herself off from like sharing that that grief of like losing a child, and like and I don't know. Yeah, it's an opportunity really for them to connect, but mm -hmm. it's like they don't express their affection for each and like love and sympathy for or empathy for each other at all. They like isolate themselves in their own uh, selfish, selfish like uh, drive to like be mothered, but they have to like, ex it's a two way street. Like these two channels of communication mm -hmm. are constantly experiencing a failure of expression. And that's where the conflict comes from. That's where drama <laughs> comes from. When one person says something and the other person's like, oh, this is literally uh, ammo for me to kick it back to you. And just like refuses to um, receive what the other person is saying. 
um well, and that's the best <laughs> well, and that's what's so like interesting about like the psychology of losing a child because like it does mess with your your whole worldview because it mm -hmm. is so unnatural to lose a child before you and so like that I think that might also be why they don't want to open up to each other because like they are so in themselves about the loss of their child yeah and I think this is why yeah they're in themselves about like the loss of their their child but I think even deeper than that they are they have like that's why hubris is brought up in the play like they cannot deal with the limits of the cosmos they mm -hmm. can't deal or contend and they're not willing to accept the conditions and the limitations of human nature and that is when people like get very emotional and i like, think that's why people isolate themselves so much because it does make you angry to <laughs> recognize that there are limitations to the natural world right um because we all tell each other stories to get through the day <laughs> Shout out Joan Didion. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, yeah, and like how Becca is so, has such an animosity towards religion, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. religion has its problems, but it is a way in which to contemplate life and death and the, the mm -hmm. cosmos. And Yeah, it gets you, it gets people through the day. Like we have to tell each other stories. And it's about like, what kind of story does she really want to tell herself? You know, she's basically like telling herself the wrong stories and like everything is a negative. Like her and Howie go to like group therapy and she's like, ugh, like they keep talking about God. And you know what I really love, that one of my favorite lines in this play is like she talks about how they were in group and um, she was like, oh, there's this one couple that said like, oh, our son died and like you know god just needed another angel like yeah god you know and then she she goes like whatever like he's god why can't he just make another angel like this is stupid like this is like a informal fallacy and it doesn't the point is it doesn't matter that's the informal fallacy people are rational and like are going and muscling through logic constantly so it's whatever you have to do to like make yourself um, kind of put a button on your emotions and um, manage your emotional behavior um, and can keep going, you know? And, like, that's what this play is about, all about. Like, the Howie and Becca really are just at, are very stagnant with their grieving process. Right. And they're they're not really talking about it helpfully. <laughs> right, because, like, um, Howie will, like, watch videos of Danny in the room mm -hmm. by himself and you know there's that great scene where he's doing that and becca's on the staircase like mm -hmm. listening in you know but and you probably know that she does want to be with him you know but like there's something in her that's like i can't because like if she goes down there she's gonna have to deal with the fact that she like her son is not there anymore and mm -hmm. you know and maybe it's because she was raised to think like i can't be sad like i can't show that right now or i can't let that out you know mm -hmm. and and it just and it it gets into a they start fighting well, like well it what, all well, just let's think explodes well let's think about what what does becca really want in this whole play she wants to pretend like nothing ever happened she like gets rid of all of the 
photos of her son she wants to like delete all she wants to put away the paintings delete all of the like videos and photos and Mm -hmm. just like put it away and shove it down that's what she wants to do um and therefore the best course of action um she's gonna do she's gonna take part in the best course of action to get the outcome that she desires um but what she desires is really not aligned with what howie desires and that's why i think howie's way more of a virtuous character because at least he gets angry Mm -hmm. and is transparent about what he wants he's actually like feeling his sadness you know yeah like becca refuses to talk about like her son who died and there's a scene where like oh you know the they're they want to sell their house and the prospective like buyer asks like oh is this your son's room how old is your son and how is just like he died like that's that's just it like he's very like transparent very confident like how he's cool because he's just confident in his mourning and he's also willing to be like compliant with his wife who's shitty to him i mean by the by the yeah. time he like almost by the time he like almost cheats on on her like tries to like put something in the hole and the empty hole that he has he's like this isn't working like i just need to be with my wife how is like it's like yeah how is so cool because like you sh- like <laughs> you should just be like i lost my you know i lost my son like that happens you know mm-hmm. more than we probably would care to admit you know yeah, yeah. and so like it's not you know it isn't I mean it's horribly sad but it's not yeah. out of the ordinary that you know and we're all gonna die mm-hmm. you know so well, it's it's like you know people should just be like yeah like I you know I, I lost my son but it's but the family when they find out that he lost his son they get all very like clammy and they're like oh oh I'm course. so sorry you know yeah of course um and then what is funny is that like how we kind of um you know there i mean there's such a failure of expression and there's such a error in like in dialogue when howie and becca fight but at some point howie is cool because even though becca is insane and like really unsympathetic to her husband howie does kind of acquiesce and go down to her level just to kind of like placate her and is like you know what like I can't control this other person's behavior so I'm just gonna go down to their level and like hopefully it'll get better and which is why he's so cool like he does like learn his lesson but Becca like refuses to learn this lesson yeah because she's selfish yeah well I mean it's yeah I mean she's like I think like she's psychologically like hurt you know like that like the yeah, terror but it doesn't it doesn't justify like her destructive behavior because she objectively does not like receive anything that howie says i know but i mean i think like she probably just like doesn't know how to like deal with it because nobody like you know nobody talks about it you know we you mm-hmm. know mourning is something that because it's something that is very like hidden in our culture Mm -hmm. you know like in south american cultures like it's rude Mm -hmm. to leave people alone when they're grieving yeah whereas like in a like in our culture it's like people are like oh like we're gonna give them space and time it's like you know maybe like yeah and that's the question it's like what does one do when something insane like that happens and like if we don't know 
what to do what is the best way we can like proceed um, given our values that we have you know Becca claims that she has a value that we should just keep it together we should not like be destructive but she doesn't have the self-awareness even though she goes to group therapy she's like with her husband they are not paying attention all she all she does at this group therapy is talk shit and it's like at some point like something's got to give like Maybe you're, um, we know that you're mourning and grieving, but it's not an excuse to be rude and it's not an excuse to like be a jag off basically. (laughs) And you know, like maybe you can have those thoughts like internally, absolutely. But she's projecting it and like taking it out on right everybody she else. is very impulsive like when she slaps mm-hmm. the, yeah, the mom seriously. in the supermarket because she I, won't give, I actually love that scene it's a great scene i mean she, yeah. because the, she, the mom won't give her her son uh the fruit roll-ups yeah. and it's and and you can tell that she like it's just like you have a child why are you being such a dick to your child you know like so you do feel for her in that moment of course, Even though she is, is like the... being really like impulsive and horrible and like she can't you can't like do that like, you can't but like she is you know you feel for her in that moment. Yeah you can you can sympathize with somebody and say like you know I I see that and like I feel like I feel the pain like her behavior reflects the pain but that doesn't mean that like the behavior is like bad you know (laughs) like she and and also is um incongruence and like she's basically lying to herself like if you want to slap somebody in the store like you should be confident about that and just say like I wanted to do that (laughs) um but I mean this is where the hubris comes into the into the play because originally in ancient Greece hybris was defined as a intentional act of violence in order to degrade somebody and then over time we started associating it with like kind of more or less like the same value where we recognize hubris as um a hubris means your um, actions reflect the denial of human nature and the human conditions and the laws of cosmos the cosmos that's just a long way of saying like you don't recognize your own mortality and you're being selfish. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what hubris is. And then they talk about this when they talk about when the death happened. And I mean, yeah, we can like this. The Basically, the driver of the vehicle that killed their son shows up to the open house. Um, yeah. And, and that's and, when it gets awkward. And Becca, <laughs> Becca and um, Jason, the driver, he's a mm-hmm. teenager and they have like a uh, they have this bond. Um, it's very strange. And I think it's because she sees him as like a grown up version of her son or like what could have been had her son oh, lived. Oh, yes. You know, like, because there's a scene where they're at the prom and or she's like, he's he's telling her about the prom that he went to and she starts crying because I think like intuitively, like she is like, my son will never go to the prom, you know, but mm-hmm. like he gets to go to the prom and like he gets to go have this full life and you know it's not it's not we don't ever know if it's really his fault for driving yeah it's just like a weird yeah it's very it is like a weird sad like freak accident that happens but because i think the way the real i think the way that they do it in the movie is really fascinating how they show him like driving and like getting out of the car and like 
it's all in slow motion and it's just it's this i don't i didn't you didn't didn't, get to that part sad honestly like i had 15 minutes left of the movie and um i had to turn it off it was way too sad okay even though i thought the direction of the movie was so bad and i thought that i did too at the direction the acting like it just didn't hit i don't think and nicole kidman is so bad at accents like i'm sorry girl like (laughs) honestly everything was so bad in the movie I don't know. <laughs> John Cameron Mitchell is usually like very good because like he did Hedwig and the Angry Inch and Short Bus and you know he's he's Wait. generally very good, but like it's I thought that the tone, of, of, I thought the tone of that movie was tone. so off. It was so the bad. Tone, it didn't add anything. Like the tone, I think that the vantage points and the cuts were like this same format also exists in Seventh Heaven, which is like, okay, yes, it definitely, it was very melodramatic. <laughs> yes. It's just like too melodramatic and like actually not honestly, not melodramatic enough. Cause I was thinking about when we watched God of Carnage and I'm like, Oh, the vantage points, the lighting, like how dark it is, how close you are to the care. Like this is very dramatic, but it just read like Seventh Heaven to I me, know. Cut, like cuts. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing is like when I read the play, like I thought it was a very funny, absurd play, you know, because they're constantly like Wait, going. really? Yeah, they were constantly, the way that they would go at each other was, you know, it was very like curt and like very, you know, on top oh. of each other. So it t- in my head, I was reading it as like a, like a comedy, like absurd kind of, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I can see that definitely. Yeah, I was we. I read Rabbit Hole in college, and like, it was always this like looming, deep, dark play where it's like you don't even want to do that play. You don't even want to touch that play. You don't want to read it because it's so fucking like depressing mm-hmm. and sad and dark, and uh, it is like really, really sad. But the thing <laughs> like, is, is, I like cried watching the movie I kn- too. I was like, oh. I know. Well, and the dog, the dog. I know. Well, and it's it's so great uh, when, um, like Howie's talking about how he wants the dog back when he he actually means like he wants his son back. You know, it was this mm-hmm. weird like saying one thing but truly meaning another. You know, it was really it was good. It's well written. This uh play is almost kind of about like the the jouissance of it all, like the hyper focus on other objects um that you reappropriate to fill a hole that's in the Mm. shape of something you lost and um people do that every day and i think especially like in maybe certain people's like first beginning stages of grieving um but i'm not sure and i it doesn't mean that like you should it doesn't mean that you should do that like maybe it is like natural impulse to kind of like replace or like put it down but doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best course of action depending on what you want but becca really wants to replace like becca is like oh this this driver like i'm just going to which is crazy because like her becca and jason have this like strange like very calming and like their dialogue is like very calm Mm -hmm. and like therapeutic and motherly and yeah paternal maternal essentially um, but it's like you don't even know this guy. Like, right? Maybe you only know him through connect- the death of your child. 
yeah why are you like getting close with this person you already know through you only know through the death of your child when you can't be close to your own husband who's the father of your child who like you've known for years and, like that's why she sucks as a character it's like oh she's just like infuriating to me and then also at the end they're like in the sense of like she has she she senses something with the killer of her child and like wants to go with him but does she sense something from him or is she projecting something onto him based on what she wants right well yeah i'm saying like she's definitely projecting but i mean he mm -hmm. is feeling she's imposing and that's why she's like the jason is her god she's like and jason is her angel she keeps saying like well why doesn't god make another angel like he can just do that she is her own god so she just made another angel in the form of jason who killed her son that's what that's kind of like how i see it because like if she was like if she was like more sympathetic and like she if she wasn't so selfish she just wouldn't go down that rabbit hole (laughs) you know what i'm saying and like she just sucks like that i'm I'm like whoa like maybe i'm doesn't mean it's not like now now i'm saying it doesn't mean it's not natural or whatever that that is what is make like the actual fact of those events occurring make it dramatic make it fascinating um but the whole time you're like oh god like what about howie he's like so cool and it's devastating at the end because becca and howie are like okay well life is gonna go on now what the hell like what do we do we're gonna go to a party and like go through the motions of life and they still don't know what to do. And it's very open-ended. But... Because it's like, what do we do? What do we do? She does take his hand at the end, which I think does so, kind of... Oh, so she is, resol- she's, like, resolving a little bit. Yeah, she's making a, an effort to, like, reach mm-hmm. out to him and, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, like, the first time, like, she touches him in the play, too. Because in the beginning, like, she, he's that scene where he's trying to seduce her mm-hmm. and like she, she the only thing she's thinking about is like oh you're just trying to seduce me you're just trying to obfuscate and, repl- and blah 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 and it's like bro like let no <laughs> she's like howie is like truly trying to like express affection for her and like she's not willing to receive it she basically was- just doesn't want to receive she wants to give she wants to project and wants to give herself, but she can't receive. But yeah, and I think like because she doesn't want to like deal with her true self, who's like in, mm-hmm. in true pain, you know, in real pain, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. But I, that that part where she grabbed his hand was my the part that made me of cry. Course. That it's was, like a I, little glimmer of the, hope. Yeah, the whole time, you know, and maybe because it, it reminded me of my own parents, like you know, it's just <laughs> like they, you know, they've lost they've lost a child and they mm-hmm. they still managed to like go on you know it, like yeah obviously like there's a pain that's gonna be with them forever but like they they have each other i guess mm-hmm. you know so it 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 gives me hope <laughs> yeah it's like very strange and like makes you wonder like in the future like what a what does howie and becca's future look like beyond the action of the play and like based on the precedent that the place like sets i'm like oh god like i there's a lot of work becca (laughs) is like uh, there's a yeah they're basically like first step like we have to get these characters into back into group therapy 
Um, yeah, like they need to they need to integrate their son's death into their lives more and find ways mm-hmm. in which to like honor him in a way that mm-hmm. um, helps them. You yeah, know? but first but- things first, they need to receive each other's expressions, and that's the great thing about the um, arguments in these um, in, in the arguments in this scene. It's like somebody will express someone somebody the other character will catch it and instead of like you know receiving it and like chewing on it they will make a conscious effort to be like well actually this is my opinion and like you're wrong or it's like something along the lines of um oh i can't believe you deleted the video of our child um on my phone and then the and then how he's like well like you don't you you know like she's like well i don't even know how to work it like like excuses Mm -hmm. like making Mm -hmm. justifications um yeah it really for for uh different principles it's like people like decide to um cherry pick um what principle they want to apply that benefits them the most um based on what they want so and that's why it's like this play and like everything else it is about desire all of their, I mean, in Becca's case, the most because her desire is the root of her suffering the most. She wants her child back. Yeah. yeah. And like, if I could rename this play, I wouldn't like, I would rename it like the Hungry Ghost or something because it did remind me of like the Tibetan, <laughs> the Tibetan like, uh, you know, in Tibetan like folklore, um, whatnot. Like, there's this concept of the Hungry Ghost, which is like this paisley shaped ghost and its neck is too thin to eat and it's basically um a personification of one's desire and how trying to eat constantly and like chip away (laughs) at your desire is like painful because that's what like they're not willing to like receive and like open up to each other in the midst of their grief instead they kind of want to eat their grief and they like desire to like selfishly like eat it you know like she really really wants to eat like her own emotions and like savor her own emotions and be selfish and like put her emotions on a pedestal before she puts anyone else's emotions above her own yeah and i you know i've been in the middle of this book called permission to feel and it's a very like (laughs) (laughs) it's a very like uh you know mental health you know, mental health. Yes, <laughs> book. But I'm, and I think it has a very distorted view of like history. But I mean, it it basically talks about like you have to let people like feel what they're feeling and like let them know that it's okay to like feel what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, or if they don't feel what they're feeling, then like it just will eat at you you know and it, and then mm-hmm. it explodes in fights you know or in mm-hmm. destructive things but also i mean that's what makes like you know great art you know i think is like people who like kind of sometimes suppress things you know and then they come out in other ways because i mean yeah like- well yeah becca is like suppressing the fact that um she she's suppressing the fact that she can't uh be she can't deal and she can't consume like it can't deal with her uh uh uh, son's death at all like that's what she's suppressing 
Yeah, and I, and it comes out horribly if she was like honest. That was like I, I wanna, can't. Yeah, I want to. I want to know like why she won't feel it. You know, is is it just because it's too painful? Um, no, it's a um, it's a byproduct of her character. Like that is her personality. Like that is who she is. Other, like. There's no, there's not a reason. Maybe there is a reason for one's personality, which could be like somebody's like uh, rear cultural rearing, a paternal, like your mm-hmm. how your parents raised you. But at the end of the day, it's it's her personality, it's her character, and it's like it. If that's her character, like that's fine. But I didn't. I was like, this girl is insane. Like she doesn't seem like a nice lady, <laughs> even though like her husband died. Like based on her behavior, her character. Like she's constantly pointing the finger at everybody but herself. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And at least Howie's like, I'm gonna take responsibility for something. Yeah, and I mean, like, I don't know. <laughs> There's this, and that's what the play is all about because it's about hubris. The scene, of- like the audacity of it all. There's this. <laughs> scene- there's a scene where Beck, like Izzy's pregnant, and Becca like wants mm-hmm. to like give Danny's clothes to her. That is probably creepy, like her, very that, creepy, but that's probably like her way of like grieving in a sense. And um, Izzy, Izzy is like, oh no, no, I don't want them. That's really weird. Well, that's the thing. If Izzy didn't want the clothes, like she, like Becca should just be fine with that. But it's like, what is what does Becca really want more? To respect Izzy's like and receive Izzy's like opinion and words, or does she just want to give away her son dead son's clothes? Yes, or like the hopes that and yeah, I guess yeah, and mm-hmm. like the hopes that 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 the child that Izzy's about to have will be like a replacement of Danny, you know, in a way. Mm-hmm. Huh. Interesting. Well, I mean, I mean, yes, I think perhaps. But like in that moment, like the action is like she just wants to give it away. Right. She wants to put it away. Um, now I do think based on the relationship she has with Jason, she does want to make Jason like Danny, <laughs> Danny 2.0, you know. Um, that's kind of like the psychological mechanism that's happening between Jason and Becca. Um, and it's very strange and like probably very common, honestly. But that, I mean, I mean I don't it's just strange. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends. It's a virtue of it's it's a bypro- It's just like somebody's character. Like I don't. Yeah. I don't know. It just it totally it totally depends what someone's personality is like. What right. How how is. open they are to. But it's yeah. It, it is well, how weird. they how they react and like how they receive things that happen in their lives. Like everybody does react differently <laughs> well and yeah and um i mean jason is an artist he's he wrote a comic book called rabbit hole which is a, it was about like mm-hmm. this scientist who like died and and this yeah. and then the uh, the what's it called the child has to go through rabbit holes to different parallel mm-hmm. universes to find another father and becca reads it and finds it very comforting Mm-hmm. so she does kind of get redeemed in the like the whole religion god sense because she's able to like at least like she, she i think like she has to like tell herself that there are infinite possibilities you know we we we're, we've been talking about like that mm-hmm. death and all all this stuff and grief and loss like show us like the limitations of us 
but like Mm -hmm. she finds and you know she likes the idea of that there are multiple versions of ourselves you know and that there that we can go on and and but that's what I think I I, I think yes but it's such a it's uh, such a strong inference I feel like if she had some kind well yeah I think yeah maybe like you're right because then at the end she does reach out her hands to right and I think that sort of relationship does sort of catalyze the like maybe a little bit of uh resolution like it does open her up a little bit um I think it gives her a sense of peace in her in her life yeah yeah, like there, yeah, there's an alternate. Maybe she's thinking like, oh, there's an alternate or parallel universe where my child is still alive, and maybe that is giving her comfort. Um, doesn't mean she's still uh, kind of stating like a. Uh, she's like being hypocritical, uh, <laughs> of course, yes, mm-hmm. but she's do she's uh, just um, telling herself a story that makes her feel good. And I think that is what the play is all about. It's just like before she really was just telling herself the wrong story to take the first step in the grieving process. But now I think through Jason, maybe that helps because they do talk about like, um, like abstraction so much in this play um, and how your, and value statements imposed on abstractions. And I think she really was connecting the wrong values to the wrong abstractions, but like she found something that worked for her. Have you looked at the cover of the play? Um, no. Okay. This play was so hard to find. I found it on somebody's like Tumblr page. Wow. It's like, I was, well, it's not that it was impossible to find. It's like, I tried to order it on Amazon and it's like, oh, like you can't, uh, it's not going to ship to your house for like three months or something crazy. Oh like my that. God. Was like, it was just, I don't know. It was hard for me to find. Is like, everybody reading rabbit hole right now? Is that what? I, I don't know. It's hard to get a hold of play. There's so many, um, there are a lot of Bruce Norris plays that I really want to get my hands on, but they're really hard to acquire. Like, yeah, it's cause it's where like not, are they? Most people don't read plays. No, and it's like so hyper. It's yeah, play. It's very niche. Scripts are like it's a tool more mm-hmm. than it's like a. Com- it's more than a commodity, really. You know, right. people don't like read plays to look cool. Like we really need to manufacture some consent to like make reading <laughs> reading cool. Because like people used to post like like people like post like oh I'm reading I book like book like I'm reading a book like. I, don't I know. post the plays that I read all the time. Yes, of of course. Definitely. I'm gonna I'm it's I'm like, starting it. It's gonna happen. Yeah. If we can get yeah. like Roman on it, you know, he'd be mm-hmm. <laughs> like maybe I'm something will happen. Start, <laughs> I'm just gonna start posting. Um yes, just I'm I am i am so bad at posting, but it's like when I do, it like comes out so funny like i'm just like wait what i did i say i feel like i need to post more of images of myself i've been posting a lot of like images of things that i'm interested in but i i have not posted images of myself and you know maybe that will change (laughs) you know what's so funny like i 
I feel bad, but it's like now I'm starting to like meet people and they're like, oh yeah, like I, we know each other and it's like, maybe I do know you from the internet, but because like, I just, I don't really see a lot of people's faces on that, that, that I, I don't know. It's like the way that the algorithm I'm, works too, you know, yeah, you never know like, who you I run just, into. Yeah. I never know what I can never remember people's faces. It's just like, Oh, they're all like strangers passing through the nights. Like, that's i'm i don't know like it's just zero it's zeros and ones to me <laughs> it's a bunch, a bunch of information but um back. oh i will say um i did make an evil thespian tiktok oh, um follow it everybody tic- tiktok's coming soon although i don't know what to post i really just don't all i do on there is like tap into the theater there's a very robust theater thespian community on tiktok so yes they really, they really, really all i over do there. seriously and I, i'm i'm actually like serious it's in- intense so really honestly all i do is like comment on every single person's uh tiktok please li- listen to e- listen to evil thespian podcast today exclamation point and that's all i do on there <laughs> please really, listen today you're doing the work you're doing the i'm work. just like i'm really just like i just spitball all day constantly i'm like please listen to it today a smiley face <laughs> you know there's got to be something where there's got to be something on tiktok where like evil thespian will like really just like yeah. break through i'm i'm saying i'll figure out a format and like ma- hopefully make it not look corny i don't know um it's a work oh, in progress I, oh so did you did you like um well we got a recap shout out to new york new york was so fun i really yes. enjoyed it a lot it was like so fun and like busy and like i wish i could have talked to like every single person and like i wish i could have like had no. coffee and brunch with every single person i talked to but overall um really amazing i amazing wish event. i could have been there it looked so fun everybody well, was really hot um hot like I was good cold. looking oh, hot. oh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry i didn't hear i didn't hear um yes everybody um looked like extremely attractive pirate um i don't yeah. know it's like i like going to new york because i feel like such a tourist i'm like I love the accents. Like I just, everything is so novel to me because I don't live there. Um, and then I get excited to come back home because I'm out of money. Um, so then I come back to Chicago. I'm like, this is the greatest city in the world. I'm so lucky. Um, and it's also yeah. like very miserable here in its own way. So, um, doesn't it seem like, doesn't it seem like the winter depression is like hitting people harder already and it isn't even like winter yet. Um, I'm no, I'm, I mean, I don't know for me. I don't know. I just, uh, I'm just cold. Like I'm, I'm not really depressed as much as I am just like in pain, like freezing. So I think I feel it. I feel it's imminence, but just the timeline, it seems like it's, it's like hitting people hard already. I feel like, yeah, actually I think so too. And maybe people are more alone now than ever, it seems like, for the holidays. Mm. Like, it doesn't seem like a lot of people are, like, talking about being with family as they usually are. I have not Uh, seen it on the timeline. I don't know. Once again, I feel like you're going down a rabbit hole. (laughs) What story story are you telling yourself? (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I don't know. I don't really really think about it too much. I'm just... uh, 
I'm just trying to stay I mean, alive. It's good to I'm not think. Tired. Honestly, like I'm tired of thinking. That's okay. So, well, here's here's. It's not that um, I don't want to think. It's about like what story do I really want to spend time entertaining? Exactly. Oh my god, yes. It's not the matter of like. I just want to stop thinking I can. I'm overthinking. I think too much. It's like, no, like that's why I hate Eckhart Tolle and like all of the um, like self-helpful, like um, pseudo, uh, pseudo spiritual, like pseudo spiritualist, spiritualist. (laughs) Yeah. Pseudo spiritualist, like, um, like modern spirituality, because it's just like, um, everything comes back to the root of suffering is thinking. Our thoughts are the root of our suffering. Um, the logic behind it is that, if we don't want to suffer, we shouldn't think. And okay, that logic you've rationalized correctly, yes, but like, I think that sucks. I cannot well, what he's, stop thinking. I love thinking. Well, I think like what he's we saying is like that people are over identifying with their thoughts and like they're making it a part of who they are themselves mm-hmm. you know their sense of self and so like yeah, you could think you could think oh yours. i'm a loser or whatever and then you yourself then become that you know like mm-hmm. the things that you tell yourself the stories you tell yourself yeah that is true i mean it, it does cause suffering in that way yeah. but honestly like i'd rather go through that trajectory and like method of um jumping from one thought to another then um, I would I prefer that over um, not thinking at all because then I would be dead and like that is a lot of like the right. the discourse is like just don't think just think of nothing just be nothingness it's like to me for my it's just it's a me thing because I'm like I love to think I'm like constantly thinking and it drives me insane and like I do hate it but in the same breath I just. I wouldn't have any ideas. <laughs> well, logic like, logic, and thinking are important. It's like, it's just like when people just only think and do logic, like then, like, and they deny like the primal self. That's when, you know, your primal self is more your true self. You know, that's who you truly are. Yeah. And so then- But, like, but a logic, logic is a function. Exactly. But, the, yeah. but there are people who are- only by the book you know and then that's where they can cause serious suffering for themselves i guess is what i think is what eckhart tolle is trying to get at i don't know like uh, to me logic <laughs> is the method of jumping and intuiting one thought from another if i have to if I, for there's a want there's a belief i want to get to this city by noon i believe the best course of action is to take the 10 30 train it, therefore mm. i'm going to take the 10 30 train and it's like why like that is just something that's natural everybody does this it just depends on what you want and what the believe the belief is and that's what's amazing like even if i even if i knew the 10:30 train would get me to the city on time that doesn't mean i'm going to do it because i maybe i don't the want isn't there and that's what's amazing about like logic is like these three three things have to like the the want and the belief has to be there um just depends on what you want well should we talk what do you, and what do you what, oh yeah can we talk about 
Well, yeah, should we talk about the happened? year of magical thinking, the play? Um, yes, I didn't read it. That's fine. Can you tell me about it? I want to tell you about it. <laughs> please, please, I, please. It's so, I mean, I love it. Um, yeah, okay. Obviously, like, it's not, you know, it's Joan Didion's later work, but, um, and I don't recommend it as, like, an entry point into Joan Didion. Mm -hmm. Have you read Joan Didion? Anything by her? Um, I've read, uh, like, blurbs here and there, and I do, I do, like, what I've read, like, a I know. lot, but honestly, like, I'll be real, like, I've only read Joan Didion on the internet. I like her a lot, like, I I've read... I've never read, like, any of her books, but I do, I do like, I like what I see, essentially. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> I read On Self-Respect in high school, and that did not hit me until much later, like, I, it, I, it didn't get absorbed into my psyche, um, until much later, but... I do really like her. Um, and so Ma Ma The Year of Magical Thinking, the play, um, it came out, when did it come out? Hold on. Let me do some quick dramaturgical research. <laughs> beep, bop, boop, bop. Beep, bop, boop, bop. Magical <laughs> thinking. Play. Computer noises. <laughs> okay, so it came out in 2005. And it starred, um, uh, oh God, Vanessa Redgrave. No, yeah. Mm. She's the older one. Mm. No, Vanessa Redgrave is the young. No, that's mm. Natasha Richardson. Vanessa Redgrave. <laughs> Say it one more time. Vanessa Redgrave, <laughs> who mm -hmm. played Isadora in Isadora, the Isadora Duncan yes. biopic. Yes. Yeah, Lovely. yeah. She played Joan Didion in the Broadway production of the play. But um, so the the play, The Year of Magical Thinking, is it's just like Joan Didion on stage. It's a one-woman play, and she's just sitting there, and she's talking about the death of her husband. And what's interesting about the play is that her daughter, Quintana, had just died. So she was able to write mm. about Quintana's death in there. Oh. And... <laughs> yeah, Joan Didion was really like really lived and had her fair share of of suffering and tragedy. I know, like whenever I think of Joan Didion, like I just think of like a grave comes to mind. Yeah, why do I think of like stone, like a stone? Well, like, yeah, because <laughs> I mean, mausoleum. A lot of know. her work is about like chaos and like mm -hmm. you know, slouching towards Bethlehem and mm -hmm. um, the White Album feel very apocalyptic and dystopian um and so yeah like it, it, uh, death very much so um well, i like that she she put things in perspective i know exactly i i've always admired the way that she views like society Cosmology. and chaos Cosmology, yeah 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 but um but what's interesting about Joan Didion is that she is very much one of those people who's like very aligned with logic like she has to know mm -hmm. and she has to control everything and so like the running like theme of the play and like thing that she says all the time is like life changes fast life changes in the instant you sit down to dinner and life as you know it ends the question of self-pity and you know her husband John is like asking her and telling her the entire time like let it go like why do you always have to have the last word you know because she constantly had to like know everything you know because mm -hmm. she had that like that journalistic background of like observe and report and so like when something like the unexpected death of your husband and daughter happens like that does throw you into 
chaos. Mm-hmm. And so the year of magical thinking is really great because like it's about her like learning to let go mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, because once you experience something like that, now your relationship with what you understand about cosmology and the cosmos is completely like shattered into a million pieces yes like I when when my brother died like I was Mm -hmm. just off in my own little world in college I was partying doing all the dumb shit of course and then all of a sudden this thing happens and then you're like what you know and so that it forced me to have to like contemplate the universe like the nat- yeah the natural world and and that's yeah. why i really liked the the way that they did the the car death scene in rabbit hole in the movie mm-hmm. be, be having it in slow motion because it like added to like the weight of like holy shit what just happened like this is we're never going to come back like th- mm-hmm. these are forces that have we've played with that we can't turn around ever again you know and so like the the weight of it is just so great in that moment yeah because it and like you feel like that weight because before the like uh, before the incidents you have hubris you have this arrogant pride and presumption and against like the gods or whatever and like the an ancient greek sense um and then um what what happens is is that it is the um, the hubris is the mechanism that brings about the tragedy part. Like the tragedy in that you're experiencing is not necessarily the incident itself. It's more of like the shattering of and of your hubris and like the breaking down of your ego and um, and building up of your ego. Well, the building up of your ego and like breaking down essentially and. Um, just like the absolute the absolute audacity of what you thought before and what you know now and what you have faith in now um that's yeah that's a, it's a lot that's why right. you feel that weight and like heaviness and like guilt and everything right and like yeah so there's yeah and yeah and it's it's the um it is the element that uh brings the like a tragic hero their ultimate demise is the hubris part Mm -hmm. but i mean that doesn't mean it's like more like morally i mean it just depends on on the context i think yeah maybe it does it is the hubris is natural well it's funny that you were talking about hubris because i'm reading Mm -hmm. this book also i'm also reading this book called uh dionysus in exile on the repression mm. of um, the body and emotion. Um, mm. And he talks about, so Dionysus, you know, comes from Zeus and mm-hmm. Persephone originally. Mm-hmm. And he, Dionysus was dismembered as a child by the Titans, mm-hmm. yes. which is why he is the god of like dismember, like violence and murder and all that type of stuff. Yeah. And so this writer, I forget what his name is, um, he says that the Dionysus myth is a a kind of metaphor for, like, childhood trauma. That, like, we're, after we're born, like, we're always going to experience something that is very traumatic in life at a young age, potentially. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and I think every child experiences something that's really traumatic, 
because if they didn't like they would just be living in a very like sanitized you know nothing life you know and so like it's um yeah and so he he talks about how like that 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 how that like relates to like hubris like the 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 titans were then cut down by zeus and they they felt very like emboldened to take over dionysus and kill him and so that's why when they cut him off they cut down the titans and they turned into ash i feel like i'm like so like you got this i feel like so like this. i'm like crazy like what the fuck um mm -hmm. but, but when they turn to ash that's what contempt like our human beings that we know today like came out of and that's why we have like this element of hubris in us mm -hmm. yeah because we um kind of deny the fact that trauma is very mundane and like boring and normal mm -hmm. and like trauma doesn't need to be like oh this huge dramatic events that happened in my life like maybe you have like, you just have a series of like small like maybe trauma is like a hyperbolic uh, way of describing what happens when you grow up but um, the the element of like having this presumption and arrogance towards your own uh, limitations as a human like that that really is what what that is and that makes sense though because like, Dionysus is like a very like natural like it's about the 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 unpredictability um, of the natural the spontaneity of like the natural world um yeah it's okay. it's, it's crazy I, yeah it's crazy yeah. Yeah. so i'm i'm living in that world and i'm i'm like it's a, oh hell it does, yeah it does kind hell of like yeah. connect to to rabbit hole in that sense of like uh becca won't allow her or even in joan didion's case like she won't allow um like her husband and daughter to really die because like after a year like during the year or a month or so after her husband passed away she like believes that if she keeps his shoes then mm -hmm. he'll come back and that's like the beginning that's like the magical thinking like if i mm -hmm. do this then this will come back or this will happen if i do this then this will happen right. does that imply that but it you want what happens a little bit yeah like obviously like she wants her husband to come back you know yeah. and so like she thinks that if she keeps his shoes then he'll he will come back yeah wow and and it's obviously like a part of her process of like mm -hmm, yeah her logic like you know her thinking she over she's always constantly yeah, yeah, thinking that... and she, yeah you, you know but it's it's so it's interesting and that's why like the whole play and the story of the year of magical thinking is about mm -hmm. her like learning to let go and there's a really great part at the end where she talks about like the tectonic plates they're constantly shifting yes yes and she talks oh about i know ecology. i know about yes i know about this yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, yes and she like so she's like that like nature like she's like it's mm -hmm. constantly it's in in flux you know it's mm -hmm. constantly happening like it's gonna happen to us all and mm -hmm. so and that that's why it is a really good book about grief and it's a good play about it, grief it's almost like um a meditation on character development like mm -hmm. your character develops 
that the development of your character uh, is predicated on your experiences. Um, based on said experiences, like you're going to have character developments and your character is um, constantly of like evolving. <laughs> exactly. And, um, yeah. It's like, yeah, it is like tectonic plates. Like, yeah and i i'm i'm just now thinking about literally ever-changing multi-dimensional contain multitudes yes yeah. that's why like jason like comes into becca's life because he gives her this grander sense of like oh like there's much more out there mm-hmm. there is something much bigger yeah, than ourselves it isn't you know right now you're very like stuck in this like I just lost my son I don't I don't want to deal with it like Jason had to like be part of um Jason really had to be part of Becca's story Mm -hmm. and character development because she wouldn't have had that arc at the end no Jason wasn't in her life and how odd I mean it was very interesting how like at peace he was you know like if I Oh, maybe he's not really at peace, and that's why he's making I don't, art. I don't think he's at peace. And I think, yeah, that's why he's making art, and he has a weird relationship with this old woman. <laughs> yeah, but he's just very, like... But I think I, he's maybe, also, maybe like, that. they are attracted to each other because, like, didn't he talk about in the play, like, he's having issues with his parents. Like, oh, my dad doesn't like oh, this. Yeah. Or, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they just, they answer each other's questions. They solve each other's problem, essentially. The issue yeah. with Becca is that, like, she, she's created her own problem. And now she's having another, she sort of has a, um, other problems that she's not yet self-aware of yet. And I don't think she's self-aware. She, the play doesn't end, like, with her, like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry that I did. It. Like, it's more like, okay, she took the first step to, like, open up. And we, like, we don't really know if she, if her character is going to develop past this moment. But I like to think perhaps it does. I don't know. She has she has to let go a little bit. Like yeah. she has to like you know. And I think that's yeah. yeah. It's like it's not it's not. Um, uh, that's why it's like I hate self deprecating humor. Which, mm. I mean, it can be funny and cheeky, but we if can you do be it honest, well, yes. like yeah, yeah, I, yeah, and like, but we can be honest. Like self deprecation is like self obsession. It's like me, me, me it doesn't leave room for anybody else essentially right. but it claims that it's bringing other people in uh, but what it really is like the core of it is just like oh this is me it's all about me and not about you <laughs> you know well did um, you um are you familiar with Kahil Gibran's The Prophet no it's a book of poetry um but he like He's like this wise. I really want to read more poetry. Like, I feel like that's just a gap I have. I do too. I'm really like, I read. It's just like a lot of the time it doesn't speak to me, you know, in a way. Um, But maybe I'm just not finding the poetry that is for me. Well, I I, I guess I do listen to music and that's that's poetic. I love Lana Del Rey. (laughs) Well, it's like poetry like stretches your brain a little bit more because when you read, um, not like nonfiction or or fiction it tells you what to think it like tells you what to do and it's like it tells you what function mm-hmm. poetry is like, like, uh, like what fu- 
poetry is like a weird in between like portal <laughs> it's a it's like a portal to another universe of like time yeah. and space and yeah it's interesting i'm very yeah. interested in it i just like i probably need like to expose myself to more yeah um but but there's a lot to there's laws to po- like rules to poetry i guess too which are is interesting yeah. you know me i love rules <laughs> <laughs> well yeah you have to we have to have rules so that they can be broken mm-hmm. um, no it's true it's true um but no wait. well i wanted to say like with yes. uh kahil gabron's he has a in the prophet he talks about um he has a poem like on parenting and he says like your children are not your children like they come from you but they are not you um yeah and i think i think that you know would open up (laughs) becca so much also you know because in the play she talks about how like i wrapped my whole world up into danny like my whole life was Mm -hmm. about danny and i think that's Mm -hmm. why like Maybe she, she. Well, it's like anybody would say that, but her problem is she wraps up her whole life now in, uh, her selfish like, own like solipsistic justifications of her behavior. Like that's what she wraps up her life in. People like, obviously wrap their whole lives around their child, but then eventually. But that's but the interesting about this is that, her her child never got old enough to the point where she could make that and understand that connection that that's not it, it it's a product of her and it's not her because usually when your child grows up you do go through this realization where it's like you know this person is their own person it's not me it's a completely new person it's a product you know of me and it's not me but like her child was only like f- like four or five is, yeah four or five like that's crazy mm-hmm. and that's like uh, when you have a five-year-old child, like you literally wrap your whole identity or your whole life around this child, and then when the child gets older, they become they have a personality and they become their own person. And then you have you're like, oh yeah, this is not that's not me. That's like a product of me. And then that relationship like evolves. But I don't know. There's something to it that the child died so early. Like her child, like. Right. She didn't really get to, and like maybe she's just like mourning everybody. I think in the whole family is just like mourning what never happens. <laughs> and one, well, and I think you know Becca may might put a lot of this also on her because she all you know maybe you know there's a part of her that we're not even privy to that is like feeling the grief, you know. And she says like I see him everywhere in the house. Of course, you yes. know. So it's like she is still great and so maybe like part of the problem with her like putting it on to everybody is so that it can like drag on and she's just like reaching out to get people to like be with her it is like not it's it's not i don't know if it's like i don't know if i if it's like okay necessarily well, it's just, but it's like it doesn't it just it doesn't it matter is. like the yeah it is it, it that's what it's all about it's just like the the expressions that are exchanged and the exchange of information that are like kicked across like all of the characters like there is a failure in all of the expressions everybody is making because they can't get what they want truly Mm. they all their expressions um are predicated on what they want 
But it's like, do they really honestly get what they want? And when they do get what they want, does it cause problems? The answer is yes. <laughs> and it's just like a, a statement of fact. And um, yeah, there are always different values applied to that. Yeah. Wait, I have <laughs> any questions? <laughs> no. I think I, I feel like I've covered everything I need to say about these two oh. plays. Um, I have a re I had something I wanted to read. Hell yeah. Okay. Okay, hold on. Okay, so um I'm reading the Simon Critchley book and I really don't like his <laughs> writing sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm like, why is it very academic? Not even academic. It's actually really opinionated. Um, like a combination of like, okay, here is a, like, you know, uh, Greek tragedy, cheat, cheat, uh, history, philosophy, blah, blah, blah. And then it's um, combined with like this weird uh, injection of like uh, mod like contemporary allusions and I don't know. It's just like some some of this stuff. I'm like, oh, this is I I understand this. I um, this is helpful reminder. But other times I'm like, Ugh, I don't know. Um, wait, I will go to the. Oh God, wait, where is it? I'll find it. Take your time. I'm taking my time. It's taking my time. Oh, okay, great. I found it. So um, it's this chapter where he's talking about like uh, we we have philosophy and we need to bring it back to theater. Um, what he talks a lot about like what is the um, what is theater's philosophy and what's the philosophy so the, what's the theater philosophy what's the philosophy of theater? Anyways, um, so um, I'll go ahead and just start. He has this really nice section on the question if we need to go back to, th to the theater if um, society um, and the way we construct and exchange ideas like do we need to go back to, th to the theater as a, as a good way of exchanging information and engaging in um, like lively productive discourse um, so he says at the end of this chapter, uh, this opens a possibly abyssal, abyssal question. <laughs> if we need to go back to the theater, then where exactly is the theater? What I mean is that if we might understand tragedy as a dialectical mode of experience, a modality of negation in the way I have proposed, then must this experience be had in what Peter Brook would call the empty space of a theater building? Or might it had, or might it be had in other spaces and other media? For example, film, television, even social media. Can theater, in this sense, happen as political action, as teaching, as sitting around a table and eating together, and listening to someone speak in a room or on the street? Can theater even happen in philosophy itself, understood not as a system or a determination of being, but as dramatic action, as an experience of thoughtful conflict? I see no reason why not. <laughs> I thought that was very apt. It is. Mm -hmm. Because, like, the world is based in conflict and nobody wants to, like, deal with conflict. They want everybody to just agree on the same thing. 
Mm-hmm. But theater reminds like- you that that people have opposing ideas and arguments that that lead to d- the demise, you know, or get them into trouble, you know. But the the want and like the desire part of not wanting to, you know, I I don't want to confront conflict that usually um, expounds on pre-existing conflict and creates another one. It's like a snowball effect. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like that's why like the uh, drama is so like liminal, I guess you could call like drama very liminal because yes. it's like a constant um, like snowball of like more and more and more and like no like resolution resolution or like tapering away and like resolving things. It's just like <laughs> more I want, I want, I want like everything um, hinges on the desire and like the action that's informed the desire so um but I, I just like that he said like i just don't know i think he like puts it like very um like cut and dry as mm-hmm. tragedy as uh, you know not um it, it's a dialectical mode of experience it literally is not uh this is a way to be it's just this is a mode of experience that's it <laughs> it's like just a, a framework uh by which people yes uh, experience things it's like theater is a ritual and it plays with time you know and it it's it, we like that's what that's what's so fascinating about the theater is like you can mold time however you want to you know and mm-hmm. and contemplate things for a long time and that's oh, fascinating. I'll do that. Yes. And yes. <laughs> um, why? And that's what I'm saying. Like, that's why, like, my, uh, like the weird, uh, did like the discourse of, about like not thinking, like the ther, like anything that's rude and like therapy, like feeling pleasure is many, a lot of times it's about like the denial of thoughts and the denial of your ability to contemplate or like, kind of uh the fact that we take for granted that we have the ability to contemplate because that is what aristotle said when he was studying the difference between uh humans and animals animals do not have like the incredible gift and the ability to abstract themselves in time and place what humans do and like that's why like humans have imagination and like animals do not well, you have like to like can, you have to look her. you have to look at something which is primal. It's like a, a primal. It's like below your prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. So it's like it is like I don't know. It's it's so yes. Like I don't know. Like well, contemplation it, wait, the, to me, you know, doesn't necessarily can, always mean like thinking. It could just be like looking at something too. And that's that's the thing is like theater is a, a visual art. My point is the purpose of these things is to contemplate ideas and abstract ourselves and our subjectivity in time in, in, in place. And that is what makes humans, like he, the human condition, uh, unique mm-hmm. and like the limitations of that as well. Like the in, infinite possibilities um, and, the, and the limitations. Because like that's when you're, engaging in drama and like 
somebody wants something but a lot of time that's like predicated on your ability to abstract yourself like maybe you desire something you have that totally abstracted uh, you know or into it, it, it like and also um humans have the ability to deliberate animals do not deliberate mm-hmm. and like that's what drama is for it's like we're medi- we're thinking we're witnessing uh, hu- uh, human capacity to deliberate and like how they deliberate and why they deliberate and like if that's wrong or right and like doesn't matter um no but it's fun to see like all of these things um theater is a rabbit hole yeah <laughs> it's true <laughs> yeah it's just like uh yeah del- deliberation and like, the many pos- animal, the many like, possibilities I know. And the people are like, oh, I wish I was a dog and I just couldn't deliberate. And I just like woke up and like I just ate and like walked around. It's like uh, they do that because like animals do that because it's like they don't have the same mental faculties as (laughs) humans do because humans can abstract themselves in time and space. Do I I can think about thanks to the theater. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You want to play a dog? Go to the theater. (laughs) Yeah. But like that's the function. That's the function that like that kind of entertainment serves. It's like mm. I don't know. I just can't see anything beyond um, meditating on that. It's just a. It's a mode of. Ex- it's just like it's not like oh this is a system of achieving and becoming a certain way. Of being or certain desired way of being. It's about like the um, dialectical mode of tragic experience. And I like that as the human experience is is dialectical. Yeah. Life is a tragedy. Period. Sex is a comedy. Yeah. Life is a tragedy. That's that's all that's all she wrote. And scene. And scene. Stop recording. You will see the email notification. Stop.